Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Sasari Direct Marketing Podcast. I'm Stan Hall, and joining me today, as always, is Rick Sasari. Today, we sit down with an expert in all things Amazon, James Thompson. Now, not only was James a former Amazon business head, he now manages his own Amazon consulting firm, Buybox Experts. And he also heads up the Prosper Show, a trade show summit that connects Amazon sellers across the world. This interview is chock full of helpful advice, so I suggest taking notes as James covers so much useful information about the Amazon marketplace and how it affects brands. One last thing. There was a lot to cover, so we broke the interview up into two parts. You can find part two on SoundCloud, our blog, or social media. Enjoy. James, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. We're really excited to sit down and dive into the world of Amazon with an expert like yourself. Would you mind going into a little bit about your background? Thanks, Dan. I'm James Thompson. I'm a former Amazon business head. I spent just about six years at Amazon running different third-party businesses. So third-party on Amazon relates to the whole part of the organization that focuses on helping brands and resellers to get their products onto Amazon. Uh, I used to run one of the categories, uh, the sports category. Uh, Then I went on to become Amazon's first account manager for the Fulfillment by Amazon program which is the program today that more than half of Amazon sellers use for fulfilling their orders placed by Amazon customers. Uh, Did a couple of other things also, and then eventually ran the Amazon services business, which is the platform through which about 99% of all new sellers join Amazon. So through that role, I was responsible for helping to educate new sellers, figure out what Amazon's all about, and, and try to get them to be successful in their first year uh, so as to be able to add 100,000 new sellers each year and drive the bottom line for the overall business. Well, that's quite a resume. And joining us also today is our CEO, Rick Sasari. How are you doing today, Rick? Great. Stan and James, great to have you guys here today. This is a really fascinating topic. And something that you mentioned to me, which really blew my mind away, was I think you gave a quotation like 40% of people when they are now when they search for a product, they start with Amazon. Is that correct? or? Yeah, so when consumers are shopping online for products, uh, many years ago they would go to Google and search for items, but now we're seeing that the number one shopping destination, or I'm sorry, the number one search destination for consumer products is actually Amazon. So more people start at Amazon.com to look for products than they do at Google. So obviously there's ramifications to a brand around what are you doing for your Amazon strategy. Brands may be aggressively doing Google shopping and bidding on keywords on Google, but what is the plan on Amazon? What are brands doing to proactively manage their brand? Even if they're not selling product themselves, if somebody else is selling their products, what's being done to make sure that their brand's being properly represented, whether that's from a pricing perspective, a distribution perspective, a selection perspective, brand content, is it accurate, is it correct? All these kinds of issues are issues that I wish more executives would be thinking about because unfortunately Amazon is also a big free-for-all if you don't proactively manage your brand. We'll talk more about that uh, throughout today's discussion. Well, that does seem like a lot to take in. So let's start at the beginning. Let's say I'm an entrepreneur or even an established brand looking to make profits and break into that 40% market share on Amazon. Where would I even begin to start? Let's start first. You asked about where do I go to make profits. Let's start first with where do I go to make sales? And then we'll, make, we'll talk about intelligent decisions to make profits. Uh, m- many brands 
first and foremost want to get distribution. They want to get customers looking at their products. They want to get eyeballs figuring out whether this product is relevant to, to whatever their customer needs are. Let's talk through uh, what I would describe as the four major methods for getting your product on Amazon. Let's start with the ugliest of all. The ugliest is you sell your products through various brick and mortar resellers and distributors, and lo and behold, your product starts to show up on Amazon. You don't necessarily know who it is, but the product is being sold by somebody. You may not know who that company is. They may be using a DBA to operate or it may be one of your distributors that's actually decided to act as a reseller. But in any case, your product is showing up on Amazon and for better or worse, units are being sold. That's option number one. Option number two, the brand says, okay, I'm gonna take a active stance in terms of how my product is sold on Amazon. I'm going to wholesale the product directly to Amazon. So this is what's called a first, uh, a first party or a 1P relationship. Uh, the, the brand will actually set up an account and tell Amazon Retail what price it's prepared to sell the product to Amazon at. And this is, this is like a traditional wholesale channel. And Amazon will decide whether they're interested in buying the product. And at that point, the PO is placed, Amazon gets the product, and Amazon is now the one that's distributing your product to Amazon customers. This is a very common approach for larger brands where, quite frankly, they're established B2B organizations. They want to focus primarily on product development, not on uh, end, end, end user distribution. So uh, the Amazon retail model or the first, the 1P model is, is a very popular model for, for those types of companies. Now, it turns out that for brand new brands, it's often difficult to get that 1P relationship initially. Uh, Amazon retail may not know who you are. They may not care who you are. You don't have sales history somewhere else that they can leverage to say, we think there's a good shot that this product is going to be successful online. And so there's this period of how do we actually get onto Amazon and get Amazon's attention that they'll wholesale from us. So that's option number two, as I say, very popular for larger brands, more established brands. Option number three is the, uh, the what we call third party distribution model where a brand actually goes direct to consumer. They'll set up a third party account, they'll create their product listings, they'll be responsible for actually dealing with all the customer inquiries that come in regarding the product and the brand can either choose to fulfill the orders themselves or they can choose to use Amazon's Fulfillment by Amazon program, the FBA program, which is the program that's been set up specifically to help, uh, to help resellers fulfill product. It's also a very interesting program because it makes products eligible for Amazon Prime. Uh, for, for many of your listeners, I'm sure they're, they're Amazon Prime customers today uh, where they're spending $99 a year to get unlimited two-day shipping of products that are sold by Amazon or by sellers who are putting product into the FBA program. So if, if a brand is the seller of record as a third-party seller, they're using FBA, their products are now eligible for Amazon Prime, things look pretty good in terms of being able to get decent customer conversion. But there's still a number of issues that need to be addressed for the brand to get initial visibility on Amazon, where there's 300 million other products also vying for attention of, of, of customers. So this third-party option is a good one for sellers if they're looking to, I'm sorry, I say sellers, for brands. It's a good option for brands if they're looking to create solid product listings, if they want to have better control of their pricing, better control of their catalog selection, better control of the inventory levels. 
but it does require day-to-day -day operations to manage the, the third-party business. Now the fourth option that's, that's available to, to a number of brands uh, is for them to work exclusively with a third-party seller, a company that already has Amazon expertise, that understands what's required to create solid listings, but also what's required to manage the business day-to-day. And so uh, what I like about the third-party partnership approach is that for brands that want to continue to focus on brand development and product development rather than on, on uh, handling end-user questions, that they can work with a third-party seller, provide them with a wholesale pricing model, but also expect from them that in return for this exclusive sourcing relationship, that third-party seller is going to provide very solid uh, listing content is going to be making sure that the content remains up to date, that pricing is, is solidly in place, inventory levels are solid. Uh, if there's multiple products involved, that all that catalog selection is made available. So this exclusive third-party relationship model is one that's very common. And for some of the very large third-party sellers today on Amazon, they're aggressively going out to, to find brands that are interested in exclusively sourcing um, in some sort of an exclusive relationship so as to help the brand get the kind of content and control that they want, but also allowing the third-party reseller to be in a position that they can, uh, that they can make uh, typically above average margins. You made a comment about selling product versus making a profit. How, how do you negotiate? I, I'm going to call it a minefield for sure. lack of a better word. Sure. Uh, it's, it's like you have to be on Amazon yep. and for the novice uh, company or person that's maybe starting to market a brand, how do they know which one of these ones to choose? Um, you know, any recommendations or thoughts or advice to help with that? Sure. So I think it's important for us to talk about what, what the difference is between short-term profits and long-term profits. For many new brands on Amazon, they want to get initial eyeballs on the product. They want to get people to try out the product and start to get some experience with the product build up some sense of loyalty and hopefully repeat purchase. Uh, in those situations, what we often see is that the brand will be prepared to sell the product at an initial discount to get more attention than what they might otherwise get if the product was sold at, at a full price. Um, there, there are certainly other ways on Amazon to get eyeballs without having to discount your product. But for many brands, um, unfortunately what we see is unless, unless they've proactively done something with their distribution and taken on one of these approaches where they're either wholesaling to Amazon, managing a third-party account, or working with a third-party seller. What we often see is the products being sold by a number of other resellers, and if there's a map policy in place, or excuse me, a map price in place, often that, that pricing gets eroded very quickly because you'll have five, six, ten companies selling the very same product. Um, I, can, I can tell you from my own experience working with various health and beauty clients, for example, it's not uncommon to have 50 or 60 resellers on the same product. Many of those companies are gray market sellers. The brand has no clue who half of them are. Uh, everybody has the incentive to get the sale. And unfortunately, not everybody's uh, incentive model is going to be equal. M many of these companies are quite happy to make a nickel or 10 cents or 20 cents on the sale, whereas other companies are saying, well, I want to make you know 30% margin. Uh, with Amazon, with so many different competitors selling the same product, often a, a, a product's price will get squeezed to the point of often absurd. And quite frankly, it's, it's, um, there, there are situations where we even see products being sold underwater 
in part because the resellers don't understand their costs effectively, or in the case of Amazon retail in the first party relationship, they will sometimes buy the product and sell it below cost just so that they have it on their platform because they view the brand as being important enough to the category that it's being sold in that unless Amazon has that selection, customers may be going somewhere else to buy the product. So if you're a, a brand that sells through other channels, th this, that could be deadly to, to, yes. your, to your pricing. Yes. I mean, really, really dangerous. So I guess what I'm leading to is you have to be, why Amazon's a really great thing, you have to be really careful to have the proper Amazon strategy. Yes. To so protect your brand. For a brand that is established, even if it's for six months, if they're established somewhere other than on Amazon, if they exist anywhere other than Amazon, and they want to have some tight controls on pricing, the reality is you have to have a proactive strategy for Amazon. Amazon has created a platform that's so easy for people to sell product and so easy for them to potentially sell below map price that as a brand, you can very quickly find that your pricing is being eroded on Amazon, which, re which results in your brick and mortar business partners screaming and yelling and saying, why is my product always 20% cheaper on Amazon? So for, for many brands, the belief that we have our brick and mortar channel, and then we've got this online channel, and maybe we put our summer intern in charge of the Amazon channel for now, or it doesn't get the same level of strategic attention that some of the larger brick and mortar partners get, the reality is major bleeding can happen on the Amazon channel that if not properly managed, results in an erosion across all of your distribution channels. Yeah, so so let's talk more about that. You've been in the Amazon world about a decade now, and in those 10 years, I'm sure you've seen plenty of cases of major bleeding. Can you give us some textbook examples of how a company might end up losing their shirt to Amazon? So a couple of different things. Let me give you a couple of different examples here. Um, I've seen situations where initially the brand had no explicit plan for Amazon. The products ended up on Amazon by way of resellers or gray market sellers or distributors often acting under a DBA so that they couldn't be easily identified by the brand. The product doesn't take long before it's being sold at 20, 25% below every other channel um, because often a significant volume can be done very quickly on Amazon. And so many of these resellers are happy to make a quick buck rather than making uh, many more bucks, but far fewer, far fewer units um, through a traditional brick and mortar channel. So what happens? Somebody at the brand wakes up and says, wait a minute, we, we apparently have no control over what's going on on Amazon. We need to figure out how to pull back and get control of the Amazon channel. Well, it turns out it's really hard to clean up that mess. It can be done. In fact, that's what my business, my business today is as I work with brands to clean up that kind of mess. But for a brand that's trying to figure out what to do, the first thing they need to do is identify who are all these sellers? So let's say, for example, you're a health and beauty seller. And I use that because that's a, uh, a, a subcategory within Amazon that is rampant, rapidly overrun with gray market sellers or with so many competitors that there's so much incentive for any individual reseller to divert product or to figure out a way to break maps so they can make a quick, a quick buck. So step number one, the brand says, we need to figure out who all these resellers are. Okay, so they put a bunch of work into figuring out who all 50 sellers are of their product. Let's say they identify who 40 of them are. Typically what happens is the brand doesn't even have a reseller policy in place or an internet map policy in place. So they have to step in, develop that kind of communication that they then send to all of the, the resellers that they do know. 
um, and then step back and hope that a lot of these resellers will act. The reality is there's a lot of inventory already in the system that has to be cleaned through. And for every reseller that says, sure, I'll follow the rules and stop selling online, every one of them now has an incentive to divert the product to somebody else who will in turn uh, then sell the product onto Amazon. So the process of cleaning out your channel and getting rid of all of the unknown resellers or known resellers who have inventory selling online, that, that can often take three to six months to clear through all of that. The other thing to keep in mind is that even once you clear it out, there will still be a little bit of whack-a-mole that has to be done because new guys will pop up unless you have absolute, complete control of your distribution channel with very, very tight policing being done at the brand level where there are repercussions for resellers, in fact, diverting product. One of the common situations I see for, for brands that are using a two-tier distribution model where there's a distributor involved rather than the, the brand itself selling just to the resellers. If there's a two-tier distribution model, that distributor uh, has all sorts of incentive to move small volumes here and there for a quick buck. When I work with brands, the first thing I say to them is, start with the assumption that every single one of your distributors is cheating in some way. Whether they're diverting small amounts, big amounts, whether they're in fact a reseller under a different name, start with the assumption that they're all cheating you in some way. What are you doing to protect yourself? Do you have some sort of uh, distributor-specific labeling? Do you have some sort of lot numbers? Or do you have some method by which you can track where individual products actually came from? Through whom did they get sold to ultimately end up at the customer? This process of doing test buys on Amazon is a very common one, but for many brands, there isn't anything meaningfully different for one unit versus another unit, allowing them to be able to track down who actually sold the product or where the product came from. So for many brands that are trying to clean up their channel, they actually have to make production changes to be able to start to do the detective work to figure out where this product is coming from so that they can then take action against the distributors or the resellers that are breaking the rules. So James, listening to you talk, um one thing is starting to become clear, uh, and I'm not saying it's a negative way, but Amazon really doesn't care about a company's brand or a person's brand as far as nurturing that brand. It seems like they, they care very much about sales and they want to get sales, but not necessarily they're going to be your buddy in building your brand. In my time at Amazon and my time outside of Amazon, I, I have yet to see a true partnership that Amazon has with anybody. I look at Amazon as being singularly focused on how do they create the most selection at the lowest price for customers. If they have all the selection at the lowest price, always available for customers, then that, that's the end goal for Amazon and Amazon has done well. Where a particular brand's own strategy fits into that is quite frankly irrelevant. Now, there are a couple of important exceptions here. If your brand is very, very large, very strategic to Amazon and Amazon says, we can't be taken seriously as a reseller of this class of product unless we have the particular brand. Amazon will sometimes bend over and work very, very hard to work with that brand to be able to uh, support them from a map perspective or from a product selection or inventory level selection. But on the most part, Amazon doesn't, doesn't help brands. It, the, the distribution issues that a brand has as it relates to diverted product or gray market product on Amazon, Amazon's philosophy is very clear. It's the responsibility of the brand to manage its own distribution, period. It's the responsibility of the brand to manage its own pricing, period. 
Amazon's job is to make product available at the lowest possible price to customers. Obviously, there's a misalignment there of, of incentives. And so as a brand that chooses to not have a proactive Amazon strategy, you're just waiting for trouble if it hasn't already happened. And if you have a distribution model that's very loosey-goose in terms of who gets product, that, that will catch up with you. For many brand new brands, they're looking for every PO they can possibly get. They'll sell to anybody. And they won't necessarily have a reseller policy in place. They won't have a map policy in place. And before you know it, you've got 4,000 companies, whether it's a brick and mortar mom and pop over here, or it's a large distributor over there, your product's available everywhere, which is great, but it also means that anybody can access the product and then turn around and sell it on Amazon. And if they're prepared to make a nickel selling it, they'll make a nickel selling it. I had a client that's a Fortune 150 company that is a, it's, it's a consumer packaged good product. It's available literally in every grocery store, in every 7-Eleven. And this particular brand didn't know how to manage all the third-party sellers that were, in fact, able to access their product. And this particular brand, you could, go with it, you could go to Costco and buy it. So any consumer, any person with a Costco membership could go and buy the product, buy a pallet, buy you know, a 50-pack, 100-pack of this item, break it down, start selling individual onesies and twosies. And if they were prepared to make a nickel here, a dime there, they too could compete with the very large distributors of this product that may have other cost models in place to, that they needed to support on Amazon. So what ended up happening was for this particular brand, tons and tons of product was being sold at ridiculously low prices. The national brand had essentially no control over where the product was being diverted, who was selling it, and what prices were being sold. And I mean, that's a major, major mess to clean up. So for, for many brands, even if they do eventually get to a point where they have a first party sourcing relationship with Amazon, if they also have very little control over their distribution of other channels, they may say, oh, I sell a million dollars a year product to Amazon. But in fact, they're surprised to find that there's $3 million of their product being sold on Amazon, and $2 million of it is unaccounted for. They don't know who sold it. They didn't know that it was ending up online. They didn't realize that, in fact, it was often undercutting the very product they're selling to Amazon. And so you've got this situation where, because Amazon's got the philosophy, your distribution problems are your problems and your problems only, the brand doesn't really know what to do. So they have to make the tough call on who do we shut off in order to be able to grab back control of distribution so that we can then have control over pricing so that we can ultimately know what proportion of our sales go through online versus some other channel. Yes, there are silly things like, you know, some, some brick and mortar company in Idaho all of a sudden places an order for $100,000 a product and they've never bought more than $1,000 from you. Yeah, there's probably something fishy going on. Well, it turns out if you take that same concept and instead of the guy buying $1,000 a month, let's say he buys $5,000 a month. No big deal. But what if you've got 1,000 different brick and mortar companies that are each increasing their orders from 1,000 to 5,000 a month? You have no way of meaningfully detecting who's actually growing their local business versus who's diverting product versus who's actually gray market selling it themselves on Amazon. Wow. Let's make things even more interesting. We're talking about Amazon US. There are Amazon marketplaces all over the world. We, we commonly see situations where product that was meant for sale in one country ends up in another country available for sale. So now you can do price arbitrage from one country to another, 
or you can simply re-import product, for example, product that's meant for the U.S., but maybe it was maybe it's made in made in England, shipped to the United States, turns around and gets shipped back to the U.K. Because of pricing discrepancies, it's actually still worth a UK gray market seller to re-import it back into the UK, pay the customs again, but be able to get the US price on the product instead of the UK price and make a nickel selling it or 5P make, making selling the product in the UK. So you have this situation where the brand has to have not just a national distribution model with national controls, but they have to have an international distribution model with international controls. So you've got a great business in the U.S., you've got that all tightened up, but you don't sell into Europe, so you get yourself a distributor in Europe, and you basically give free reign to that distributor in Europe. Guess what? Now you're creating a whole bunch of competition for yourself back in the U.S. Unless you've got tight contract terms in place with your distributor, you can be sure that product's going to somehow end up back in the U.S. or being sold at a discount in Europe well beyond your control. Yeah, and in some cases... It, it can even be a step further, and I'm sure you might want to comment on this, about counterfeiting products or counterfeit products that are being, I don't even want to open up that can of worms. It is true that um, with the development of private label products on Amazon, everybody thinks they can make a million dollars building their own private label product. Um, there are certainly many uh, private label companies that are doing good research and doing the right kind of things with trademark review and uh, evaluating the quality of the products as they're manufactured before they, they come into the U.S. But, but there's also lots of companies that are looking for a quick buck to make. And while they may have been able to make some money as a gray market seller in the past, they're realizing they can actually make a lot more money if they go make a counterfeit or they go make uh, a third shift version of a product and, and make that available in the U.S. where their costs are much, much lower than what it would be if they were, in fact, legitimately sourcing the product. So yes, the, the world of counterfeits and knockoffs and slightly different versions under different brand names, that's a whole other beast. And we could have a lengthy conversation. But yes, that, that's the reality. I think the important takeaway here is if you're a brand and you're serious about the long-term survival of your brand, you have to have an Amazon strategy. I'm not saying you, the brand, have to manage all of that, but you have to have somebody managing it for you whether it's an external partner or whether it's somebody within your organization. Even if Amazon is a very small percentage of your known sales, it's, it's going to be a highly disproportionate amount of the source of the problems for your overall business. Whether that's uh, diverted product, whether it's map pricing problems that, that leak into the rest of your traditional brick and mortar channels, uh, wh whether it's sloppy uh, end-of-year product that's being repackaged and made available as new product. There's all sorts of crazy stuff that goes on. A Amazon's essentially created a very easy platform for anybody to sell anything, and it's only left to the creativity of the individual reseller to figure out where to source product, how little work they have to do to make it available for sale, and how little profit they're prepared to accept to be able to make that sale. Yeah, that's a really important point, James. It, it, I think what we, our listeners can take away from this is that without an Amazon strategy, you really don't have a brand strategy or an yes. overall brand strategy, yes. and to, not to underplay the importance of, of that. So it's really valuable information. So one of the things that I've seen with, with some brands, that they have explicitly said, we don't want to have anything sold on Amazon. We've decided we're a brick-and-mortar only company. There's going to be nothing on Amazon. That's fine. That's great. You know, I, that's, that's the approach they take. 
but they still need to have an Amazon strategy. And what I mean by that is, even if they've got really good controls over their distribution, the reality is somebody's going to get the, the gift from their grandmother and decide, I don't want this product. I'm going to sell the unit on Amazon and make a few bucks. Guess what? They're going to go onto Amazon. There's going to be no listing of that product. So they're going to spend the minimum amount of time to create a listing of your product and put it on Amazon. Now you've got bad brand content on Amazon representing your product and somebody else created it. You, you basically implicitly delegated that responsibility to somebody else and now that content is going to be searched by 40% of people looking for product and Amazon may actually end up being the number one search result for your product with bad content. So even though you didn't want to sell on Amazon, at a minimum I encourage brands to say we don't want to sell on Amazon but we want to control whatever content, whatever way our brand is represented on Amazon. Even if not a single unit does get sold, we want to, we want to know that when the first unit does get sold, the right content with the right UPCs, with the right images, with complete and accurate information is actually in the system, in Amazon's catalog. So that when that guy gets the product from his grandmother and decides to sell it on Amazon, he's going to go onto Amazon, type in the UPC, discover that, oh, there's a listing that's already been created. That is to say, created by the brand. It's a really good listing. It's clean. It's, it's accurate. And now the customer who goes onto Amazon looking for the product is going to get a fair and honest representation of the brand versus the situation that all too often happens. The brand says, we don't want to sell on Amazon. Somebody else essentially takes over the responsibility of creating all the content for that brand. A lot of sloppiness is put in, into play. You now end up with a situation where the marketing department of that brand has done all this hard work to get really good content in the channels that they authorize, but all the unauthorized channels, starting with Amazon, has all this bad content that surfaces to the top because Amazon is such a high frequency uh, search destination for products. Okay, so that was part one. In part two, we are going to really dive into how to go about marketing your product on Amazon and what strategies to employ. Perhaps you're a new brand looking to build a silicone pancake flipper empire, or you're an established brand looking to take control of your sales. James will cover it all. Follow Cesare Direct on social media for all the latest updates, podcasts, and blogs in the world of direct response advertising and marketing. If you have any questions, feel free to post them in the comments below, or if you want to contact us directly, drop us a line to contact us at cesaridirect.com. Our theme music today was provided by Kevin McLeod from Competech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution License. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and we'll catch you on part two.